Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Get ready for a rollicking good time with this episode. Jordan heard me when I guested on the Marriage and Martinis podcast and became a listener to this show. She reached out to me and said, if you ever want to interview a young mom, I'm here for it. That was all I knew about her when we got on the line for this conversation. As you'll hear, Jordan and I hit it off like gangbusters immediately. I find her really interesting and fun, while also being informative and really wise for a woman in her early 20s. She's a birth doula and has a ton of interesting information to share about pregnancy and postpartum experiences. After we finished recording, I started following her on Instagram and TikTok, where she shares amazing content about pregnancy, breastfeeding, and her very popular reasons my two-year-old is crying. But when we got on the line for this conversation, I didn't know any of that yet. During this conversation, You may notice some kid noises, because that's the reality of being a stay-at-home mom of two kids under the age of three. Jordan is a 23-year-old, cisgender female, who describes herself as white, straight, monogamous, and married with two kids. She grew up in a Christian home and is premenopausal. She describes her body as tall and lanky, like a baby giraffe. (laughs) I am so pleased to introduce Jordan. Welcome. I'm so excited to talk with you. We connected online um, and I have been really enjoying seeing some of your videos and pictures of your kids and stuff. So I'm thrilled to talk with you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is so fun. I love it. Yay. Break the uh, or, or pop the podcast cherry, so to speak. So is this your first podcast interview? Yeah, it is. (gasps) Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I literally was just thinking about it probably a week ago. I was like, I should make like a list of goals for the next year. And I was like, oh, being on a podcast would be so fun. And then like two days later, we were chatting on Instagram. So, you know, manifestation or whatever you want to call it, it worked. Love it. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Well, then let's, let's dive right in. Um, And the first question I ask everyone is, what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Oh, geez. I honestly probably couldn't tell you. It was just suddenly a part of my life. Yeah. Um, And that probably didn't even happen, or I can't really recall it really even happening until I was probably 16 or 17. Okay. I mean, it might have happened earlier, but... it wasn't sure. monumental enough <laughs> to make any sort of memory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's interesting to me because, um, you know, in my mother's generation, it would not have been unusual to get married young and have kids young. Mm-hmm. But in today's culture, that is a little more unusual. And that's what you've done. Yeah. So you, you, it sounds like didn't have a ton of time for sexual exploration before yeah. you got married. No, uh, my body count is one, and it is the guy that I am married to. Wow. I don't know if that was entirely intentional. It just kind of happened that way. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, before you turned 16 or 17, had you discovered masturbation? Had you discovered your body at all? Or did that all happen in your mid-teens? I have a memory of being 
oh gosh, I might, I must have been five or six, very, very young. And like, I was super into, and a huge part of my life up until I was probably 20 was um, being involved with horses, training horses. Um, I ran the rodeo circuits all over Michigan for a long time. Oh, wow. And I remember probably in one of my very first like horseback riding classes or something at the very end, they're like, okay, we're, everybody's going to take their saddles off of the horse and we're going to ride bareback for a few, you know, just like without any equipment on the horse for a few minutes to let them cool down. And I remember riding this horse and just like walking, nothing crazy and feeling like I'm going to pee my pants right now. (gasps) Right. No clue what the heck was going on. Yeah. And just being like, I never want to, I never want to use, I never not want to use a saddle ever again. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was terrible. That was terrifying. Yeah. I could have peed my pants in front of everybody. That would have been so embarrassing. And now looking back at it, I'm like, you dumb, dumb. Like, what? Of course, <laughs> you weren't going to pee your pants. Yeah, but you had no way of knowing that then. No, no idea. No. So did you ever ride bareback again? Yes, but n- nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because some kids would have had that experience and been like, oh, I want to ride bareback every day. Right, right. And then others are like, oh, it was scary. Yeah. No, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in the category of um, non-intentional masturbation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that the only thing that happened for you? Yeah, for a very long time. Yeah. There really wasn't anything else going on. So when you say around 16 or 17, what happened then? I think it was a, what was it? It was like a shower head. Uh, I yeah. <laughs> think I watched like a movie or there was, you know, something. And in the movie, they referenced it. Um, you know, it's like a part of the comedy is a part of a joke. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wait a second. Like, I feel like I've heard this referenced before. I feel like I've heard this joke before. Like, what the heck is that all about? And yeah, like the, I think the first time I tried it, it was like way too much, way too, like super intense, didn't mm-hmm. like it. And I was like, no, 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 no. But then, of course, like, you know, you start going through puberty and you have all these crazy hormone shifts and like this desire to figure stuff out. And you're like, there's got to be more to life than just (laughs) sitting here like a bump on a log. And of course, (laughs) curiosity killed the cat. And I think (laughs) that was like the experience moving forward was that. And then it probably wasn't until I was really involved with my first sort of kind of boyfriend Mm -hmm. that he was very gung-ho about like, you know, trying, getting, getting down and dirty in like the backseat of the car or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. This is like a thing that people do a lot. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I want to get back to him, but first, um, what kinds of conversation were happening in your home around sex, sexuality, female sexuality? So growing up, I grew up in a very Christian home. I still am a Christian. I didn't have a bad experience with the faith growing up. It was a very positive, very loving environment. Um, And so the first introduction to any kind of sexual education that I had was when I was in fifth grade and we were doing like, you know, that unit in science, the birds Mm -hmm. and the bees and the the talks and whatever. And I was going to a public school, so it wasn't a Christian-based school. Um, And so my parents were hesitant about letting our teachers teach, you know, the public school system's version of sex education before my parents had a chance to kind of lay down their basis for Mm -hmm. healthy sex in, you know, in a Christian relationship or in, in in a Christian home. And so they, you know, wrote me a note to exclude me from that week, to exclude me from that unit. So I spent an hour a day in the library just chilling. Um, (laughs) And then I would get home and my mom and dad like sat me down and it was the the most stereotypical Mm. birds and the bees talk. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, zero warning, zero lead up. My dad just sat me down. He's like, where do you think babies come from? (laughs) And I think I said your belly button. Uh-huh. 
And my dad's like, okay, no. Um, and just like hit me like a freight train. He's like, no, you came out of your mom's vagina. And Did you like, know what a vagina was at that point? Kind of. I had okay. heard the word used, uh-huh. but if you had given me a pop quiz and been like, okay, show me where the vagina is. Show me where your urethra is. Show me the, an-. like, no, no idea. No clue. Sure. Like it was just the general area down there. Yeah. And my mind was blown. <laughs> I was like, hang on, hold up. So within that conversation, it was just very black and white. This causes this, causes this, causes this. Boom, a baby. So mm-hmm. that first birds and the bees talk was just talking about how sex creates children. There really wasn't any talk of pleasure. There was no talk of the relationship side of sex. There was no um, th- there was no fluidity in the conversation. It was very scientific. Mm-hmm. And from there, I, I, I went to bed, I think. Like there, <laughs> it was just like, all right, um, I have a penis. Your mom has a <laughs> vagina. My penis goes in your mom's vagina. I ejaculate. A baby is made. And then oh, wow. baby is born out of the vagina. And I was like, <laughs> okay. That's, That's a lot. A lot. That is a lot of information. <laughs> yes. And yeah. there was, you know, a little bit of talk afterward about how sex is made for, um, you know, a husband and a wife and it's best kept inside the relationship of marriage. And that's what God intended, you know, and then bringing in the biblical side of it. So then when I went back to school and all my friends were talking about sex, I would have like this knowledge in my head that, oh, but it's it's only meant for marriage and it's, yeah. all, you know, all this stuff. Um, and that was it. That was the only talk of sex that we had in our house. Um, it was never viewed as taboo. My dad always made it very clear to us that we were more than welcome to ask him any questions, to bring anything up. If we were curious about anything, like nothing was off limits. Um, we were allowed to say anything and ask anything, but it was such a cringy subject for a fifth grader to go talk to her parents about. Um, that I just never brought it up again. I was like, okay, sure. that's it. That's the info they have to give me. Good to know. <laughs> what so, about yeah. when you got your period? I didn't tell anybody when I got my period for like a year. I, wow. Yeah. Um, not because I was ashamed or because I didn't want to tell anybody, but I don't know. For some reason, um, growing up, my period, the reproductive system, like birth, none of it was weird or none of it was really a big deal. Mm. So um, I got my period. I th- I was 17. I got it a little later. Um, we were up at like our family's lake house. And so it was the middle of summer running around in bathing suits. And I was like, what the heck is this going huh. on? And it took me a few hours to like for it to click. Like, oh, okay. So I'm not dying. I'm just, this is normal. And I think I just like slapped a pad on and called it good and then kind of <laughs> kept it that way and just dealt with it on my own. Like, oh, yeah, next, you know, next thing to worry about. Check that off the list. Next. And it wasn't until about a year later that I think my mom was leaving for the store one day and she said, you know, does anybody need anything? I said, oh, yeah, can you pick me up some tampons? She's like, since when? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, like last summer. She's like, honey. Oh, wow. Why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I don't know. I just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Did it concern you that um, that you started later? Like, were you waiting for it and wondering why it didn't come? I knew that all of my friends had already gotten it. And in my head, it was always just, it'll eventually show up. Mm. And it eventually showed up. So it never concerned me that it arrived late. Um I don't know if it had something to do with, so I, later I ended up getting diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with it in the get-go or if that developed later, but I had only, you know, I had had my period for about a year when, and it wasn't until I, you know, kind of started to clue my mom in on like my cycle and what was going on that she started to say things like, well, that's not normal or that's not Mm. usually what happens. And I think it was because in my head, your period was supposed to be like, not a big deal. It's okay. It's every woman goes through it. I was like, oh, this is normal. This is no big deal. And then 
looking back on it, I'm like, no, Joe, that was not normal. That was <laughs> so a big deal. <laughs> what kinds of symptoms were you having? I was getting my period every two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, I was getting very bad, very bad cramping, occasionally very heavy bleeding that would only last for a day or two and then disappear, you know, in the middle of the middle of my cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I started to tell my mom about this and it was a consistent thing, we finally made an appointment with her gyno. Mm-hmm. Um and that's when I went in and, you know, had a couple appointments. She finally gave me an ultrasound. And that's when we found a nice little family of cysts hanging out <laughs> on both of my both of my ovaries. And she's like, ah, yes, yeah. <laughs> that explains a lot. So that's really uh, even more interesting slash stunning mm-hmm. that you were able to sort of hold this information to yourself. And it doesn't sound like you were keeping a secret. No. It just sort of was what happened for you. But yeah. if you were bleeding every two weeks and there was major cramping going on with it, the fact that nobody noticed that is pretty surprising. I mean, I'm the oldest of seven kids. There's a lot going on oh, in the wow. house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Um and luckily, my parents raised us to be very independent. We were very mm-hmm. self-sufficient from a pretty young age. Uh, and so I think, I mean, yeah, maybe looking back on it, it's a little weird that nobody noticed. But, you know, in the context of what my family unit looked like, it wasn't that strange. Yeah, sure. Um, so once you had that diagnosis, mm-hmm. what what was the treatment for you? Just the good old-fashioned birth control. Yeah. Yeah. So I was put on birth control when I was about 18 and stayed on it for a couple of years, switching back and forth between a couple different kinds. It was always just, you know, the once daily pill option. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I was married that my husband started saying things like, "Um, this isn't working. You're you're miserable. You're Mm -hmm. obviously miserable. And I think you should stop taking this. And I was like, okay. I think I was just waiting for somebody to tell me that it was okay to stop taking them. Miserable in what way? I was in, I was an anxiety monster. Mm -hmm. I was having major anxiety and depressive episodes. I was gaining and losing weight all over the place. Um, Just, you know, the typical hormone roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And I think... Because I had been put on birth control so early in my cycle, like so early in my menstruation period of life, mm-hmm. um, I didn't realize or it never clicked that it was the pill doing it. It To me, it was always like, no, this is just what happens around my period and I get my period pretty often. And so, yeah, I guess it makes sense. This is just, this is just normal. Yeah. And it was, yeah, finally my husband was like, no, no, it's not. This isn't your <laughs> I think we need to figure out something else. Yeah. So uh, I I know we're going to be going completely out of um, chronological order, but I want to follow this story. I'm fine with a zigzag (laughs) operation here. Yeah. (laughs) So when you decided to go off of, first of all, I assume that the birth control put you onto a regular cycle. It did. Yeah. But if you wanted to keep that regular cycle, did that mean that you felt like you were not going to be able to have kids? That was a really interesting conversation. And that was a very strange kind of unknown time um, when we decided that it was going to be a good idea for me to stop taking birth control. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we were dating, and we had a very whirlwind type of relationship from the time that I like knew. So my husband's name is Lee. Um, from the time that I knew Lee existed to the time that we were married was a little under six months. Wow. Um, we just, neither one of us likes to mess around. Both of us hated dating. <laughs> and so we just kind of found another person that hated dating and that we <laughs> were like, do you want to never date ever again? <laughs> and we got married. Um, and now here we are like four years later with two kids. So clearly I was able to have children. Um yeah. But when we were first dating, that was a big talking point for both of us was, okay, if children cannot be a part of the picture, are you okay with that? And am I okay with that? And what does that look like moving forward? Um, I remember even on my first date with my like first 
boyfriend. I, I say boyfriend with quotations around it because it was very casual. It only lasted like two months. Mm-hmm. But um, like our first date with the guy that I don't even see or talk to anymore, I told him, hey, just so you know, I don't think I can have children. Mm-hmm. So if that's a deal breaker for you, I just want to put that out there right now because I went into the dating season of my life with a lot of intention. I, like I said, I don't like to play around. I don't like to play games. I was never attracted to the wishy-washy, he said, she said kind of game of dating. I I went into it like all business. (laughs) So I was like, anybody that I dated, I was like, just so you know, I'm dating because I want to find out who I'm going to marry. So Mm. is that you? I don't know. We'll see. Like it was, (laughs) that was very blunt and very forward. And uh, when I met Lee and I told him that he was like, okay, yeah, game, me too. I'm like, awesome. Wow. Let's go. (laughs) So we went and we went for it. Um, But yes, so when we were dating, that was a conversation and both of us were on the same page of, hey, we're very young. I don't know if I want kids ever. I honestly don't know right now. And so neither one of us wanted that to be a deciding factor in our relationship if we if we were very certain about each other and there was this crazy unknown what if in the background. Um, that was something that we were both comfortable kind of figuring out together in the future. While we were dating, I ended up having what I believe was a chemical pregnancy Hmm. um, where my period was super late, didn't know why. I took a couple tests, but they were negative. And then I randomly got a positive test and then started my period like a week later. Mm -hmm. So I believe that was a chemical pregnancy. Um, and so there was kind of this looming question of, okay, if that was, if that test wasn't faulty, and if that was real, then there's a very high possibility that I could get pregnant again, but there's also a very strong possibility that I can't. So it was, mm-hmm. again, very unknown. But again, going back, he was like, hey, I think you should stop taking birth control. And I said, okay, well, you know what usually happens when you're not <laughs> taking birth control, Right. And then that, you know, started a whole slew of other kinds of conversations. And we eventually settled on, if I get pregnant, great. If I don't get pregnant, great. Mm. Um, If I were to get pregnant, being young parents was something that was desirable to both of us. Mm. And so we kind of just went for it. And I stopped taking birth control. And we were not super trying, but I was also like religiously tracking my cycles. Mm-hmm. So I knew exactly, like to the day when I was ovulating, I knew exactly when my period was going to start for a couple of months because I wanted to know if when I stopped birth control, would my cycle continue to stay regular? So I was tracking everything up the wazoo, cervical positioning, <laughs> mucus, basal body temperature. I was taking ovulation tests. I was taking pregnancy tests every single month. Like I needed to know every single detail. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then a month later, I got pregnant. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> I can get pregnant. <laughs> you are a fertile mama. <laughs> I'm a very fertile mama. I come from a very fertile mama. My yeah. husband comes from a very fertile mama. <laughs> Can't say I'm super surprised. <laughs> so yeah. once you g- went off of the birth control, how did that affect your body in terms of the PCOS? I have no idea, honestly. I'm assuming it's gone. Really? I've I never... didn't even know if that could happen. I've never <laughs> gone back um, to get any kind of testing or ultrasounds done to look for cysts. Um, I have heard in the past from other doctors and from other women that used to have PCOS that sometimes pregnancy will cure it. Oh, interesting. Um, almost like a total body reset. Hmm. And so if there's something that's causing the PCOS, like a hormone imbalance, pregnancy can kind of recalibrate your body in a way. It doesn't happen for everybody, but it does happen occasionally. And I'm thinking maybe that's what happened to me um, because then I got pregnant a second time and my Mm -hmm. cycle was relatively normal in between my first and second child. And the cramping issues, the severe cramping was lessened as well? Yeah, definitely less. Um, 
Yeah, it was just kind of weird and strange. Granted, I, I did get pregnant very quickly after my second. And my kids are about 19 months apart. So I really only had five or six cycles mm-hmm. um, in between the time that my cycle returned after my first and I got pregnant with my second. Mm-hmm. So, but those five or six cycles were fairly normal. I had nothing crazy in terms of cramping. And, um, you know, like, it wasn't heavy, like a super heavy flow. It, it felt like the most normal periods I'd ever had in my life. Oh, I'm I'm pleased for you. I hope that continues. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've now had two kids mm-hmm. and it sounds like you both come from large families. Are you looking yeah. to have a large family yourself? Um, no, I, so I, yeah, I have six siblings. Um, my husband only has one older sister. He has a half sister. Um, so two sisters, one full, one half. So he, in my terms, he comes from a a small family. Um, and in his terms, I come from the Duggars. So (laughs) we both have very different ideas in terms of what our families looked like in the past. Um, but moving forward, we're both very much on the same page in terms of what we want our family to look like. I'm right now we're both very happy with two. I would be more than happy to stick with two. Um, but also I know that people change their minds. We're both very young. Mm-hmm. So if another one decides to, you know, swim its way up there, <laughs> great, bring it on. Like I yeah. guess that's happening. <laughs> so uh you said you mentioned before we started recording that your period has not returned yet since mm-hmm. the birth of your second child. Yeah. What will you do for birth control if, if you decide to use something when it yeah. does return? Yeah, so I use the fertility awareness method or it, it it goes by the fertility awareness method or natural family planning. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just using your body's signals to understand your fertile cycles to pinpoint your fertile days and your non-fertile days and then using that information to decide when or when not to have sex or when to use other forms of birth control like a condom Mm -hmm. Um, and when you're consistent with it it's it's very very effective and it's definitely my preferred method of birth control because it is the most hormone-free, nothing has to go in my body, and it's just, it's up to me and my body to tell me what to do when. I want to invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is, but I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability, and I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or If you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. 
For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. So (laughs) my sister was dating this guy and uh, we were living in Chicago and he lived in Michigan and um, he decided, my sister's boyfriend decided to come visit her for a weekend and he was going to bring a friend of his because his friend had a job interview in the city and it was just all going to work out. We were all going to hang out for the weekend. It was going to be great. And my sister told me about these plans about a day before they arrived and I was really mad at her because I was like, this is going to be so weird. What you and your boyfriend and like me and some random guy, like this sounds very like you're setting me up. I don't want to be set up. She's like, no, 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 no. It's fine. It's not like that at all. He's not coming here to see you. He's coming here for something completely different. He has a girlfriend. They've been together for like two plus years. He's in a serious, like, trust me, Joe, it's not like that at all. And I was like, all right, all right, fine. That's fine. So we went into the city to meet up with them for the day. And of course, my sister's boyfriend comes like walking into the restaurant. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I know him. And his friend follows in behind him. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. He's really freaking good looking. <laughs> and I was mad. So I was like, Duh. he's got a girlfriend. You're going to make me hang out with this guy all day with a girlfriend. And I, I can't do anything about oh. Like, I was so mad. <laughs> And so I was just kind of like in a pissy mood the whole day. Didn't want to hang out with this guy um, just because like I was so attracted to him. Mm. And I felt like trying to not flirt with him just felt so fake and weird. Um, And so we spent the whole day kind of like keeping our distance from each other because I think he could tell that I was just like pissed off at him for some reason. We couldn't figure out why. Um, And then it wasn't until later that night that we were all hanging out. And my, of course, my sister and her boyfriend like ditched us. And just left us to sit like at a park somewhere. Like, okay, you guys talk. We're going to go over here. <laughs> um, we got a little drunk. I He was telling me all about his life and his girlfriend and, you know, the things that he does in his job. Like typical chit chat. But I'm a good, oh, half a bottle of Crown Royal Deep. <laughs> and I turn to him and I go, you know what? And he's like, what? And I go, you should break up with your girlfriend. Like, it was that Ariana Ariana Grande song, like, break up with your girlfriend because I'm bored. Like, 100% that's what was going on. And he just kind of chuckled, like, oh, okay, all right. And we kept talking about whatever. Um, he kind of, like, brushed it off. We hung out for another hour or so. And then finally I was like, hey, quick question. And he's like, what? Like, again, what do you want? And I'm like, so do you want to kiss me or no? Like, just tell me straight up. And he goes, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, you can if you want. And he's like, geez, fuck, fine. And I was like, that was the beginning of our relationship. And he went home and broke up with his girlfriend and then asked me out. Um, And then we dated for a couple months and then got married. (laughs) So clearly I'm not here to like play games. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. And did your sister continue dating the other guy? No, not for very long. (laughs) So you and your uh, then boyfriend, now husband, have decided that you're going to be together. Mm -hmm. Um, What was your sexual relationship like? Did you wait for marriage to have intercourse? No, we did not wait for marriage. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We dated for a couple of weeks before we crossed that crossed into that territory um and again like I was saying like my views on kind of you know my views on sex and what was acceptable and what was okay um while still varying very far from or veering very far from what my parents had taught me and what they believed uh, mine had definitely changed and I was by no means my husband's first sexual partner but he was mine Mm -hmm. and so it just kind of like organically and naturally happened where, you know, you, you know, one night you're just like cuddling and maybe kissing a little bit. And then the next night you're, or the next day, you like can't keep your hands off each other. And, you know, like yeah. when you first meet somebody, 
is literally all you can think about. Sure. It's like, how can my body touch your body a lot? Like, that's all you want to <laughs> think about. <laughs> and granted, he was also the first guy that I had been in a relationship with that I was like heavily, heavily physically attracted to. Mm. I'd had very strong crushes like growing up and in my teens and whatever, but it never reached dating. We ne- it never happened. Yeah. Um, mostly because, I, and now I've been told I had just come across as intimidating and I'm like, all right, fine. Sorry. <laughs> Not my intention. Um, and so it wasn't until I was actually in a relationship where it was safe and it was okay to pursue some kind of sexual relationship with somebody that I actually did. Mm-hmm. So um, you said that you had learned some things and your mindset had changed. Mm-hmm. What was that process for you? What What were the things that you learned or consumed that helped you to have a broader perspective? I just, from talking to a lot of other young married couples, mm-hmm. um, and every single one of them, regardless of whether they had waited until marriage or not. Um, all, you know, for the most part had, had different viewpoints on it, but there was always like this common theme of, I just wish that there had been more acceptance of just even talking about sex before getting married, especially in like the Christian community. Um, Growing up, especially for girls, unfortunately, it's very <laughs> kind of gender bias in the in in church mm-hmm. um, when it comes to talking about sex. Is that it's dirty and disgusting and bad until you get married, and then it's supposed to be this beautiful, wonderful thing between a husband and a wife. And I had seen friends of mine that I knew for a fact had waited until marriage and had this mindset of sex is dirty and disgusting. Don't do it until you're married. But then after you're married, it's great. Mm-hmm. Have terrible, awful sexual relationships with their husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, I say husbands because for the most part, I was talking to women sure. because they're my friends. But um, And they were just having such a hard time. And going into marriage not even understanding or knowing like how, like the basics of how sex works and it was kind of crushing to me in a lot of ways because i knew that the sex wasn't supposed to be dirty and disgusting and awful mm-hmm. um and i do have to thank my dad and my mom for instilling that knowledge in me from a young age that sex is not bad. They never told me that sex was bad. They never taught me that it was gross or that it was like, you know, sinful and awful. They had just always taught me that it's, you know, it's best saved for, uh, you know, like a monogamous relationship or in this case, in in their case, marriage. Um, And so I knew that sex wasn't supposed to be bad. It wasn't supposed to be scary it wasn't supposed to be painful and like shameful and yet all of these women that i had been talking to that were my friends that were getting married just hated it Mm. (laughs) um and i think it just comes from a lack of education especially in the church Mm -hmm. i mean just because you are like a homeschooled christian kid which i was um doesn't mean that you can't be taught about sex and so it was at that point that I started doing as much research as I possibly could. And like, okay, just starting from the basics, biology, how does sex work? Past the point of penis and vagina equals baby. Like, <laughs> right. give me some more. And so I went into, like, I spiraled <laughs> into research mania, which then led me to learn more about myself in you know, terms of like PCOS and natural family planning and the fertility awareness method and, you know, your just what kind of hormones are going through your body at different times and what the different fluctuations look like and how to track everything. And suddenly I was like, my mind just like opened up and I was like, wait a second, there's way more to this whole sex thing than I've been taught. Mm-hmm. 
And what, what the hell does that mean? Hmm. Um, and so I was definitely going through all of that while I was dating this guy. <laughs> that is now my husband. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I think as soon as like I let myself understand and I let myself let go of this idea that sex is not bad. And I was like, oh, interesting. Mm. Let's explore this. <laughs> Let's figure that out. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun to explore that and figure that out. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So was the sex good right away? I wouldn't call it good. Okay. I wouldn't call it bad. Mm -hmm. It was just a thing that happened. <laughs> was it fun right away? Yeah, I thought it was fun. Okay. Um, but a huge part of the reason it was fun was because it was with him. Sure. Right. Um, I think I'm very lucky in a sense. And I don't think a lot of women in my situation would hold this opinion. But I think I'm very lucky that I was not my husband's first sexual partner. Mm. Um, he had had a decent string of monogamous girlfriends before me that, you know, sex was a regular part of their relationship and he brought all of the knowledge into that into the bedroom like i went in blind mm -hmm. and um luckily he's a very caring understanding very communicative person and that is i think <laughs> probably what like hooked me <laughs> it's like oh yeah this is good we're just gonna stay together because you can just figure this out um <laughs> You tell me what to do, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how would you characterize your sexual relationship now? Is it, well, first of all, mm -hmm. do you get a lot of pleasure? It's interesting right now, um, specifically now because of where I am in like the whole postpartum shit mm. show. Mm -hmm. Um. I've just, you know, and it happened with my first child too, but it's happening now. Like my libido just kind of drops when I have like a tiny baby. And I don't know if you'd consider nine months tiny, but like I, it's tiny. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's like you're not getting a lot of sleep. You very rarely shower. The, and a huge thing for me is at the end of the day, I feel very touched out. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's definitely less sex going on right now than there usually is. And Com be completely honest, I think both of us are very okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being a father is also very overwhelming. And as much as sex can be a form of self-care, I think not having sex can also be a form of self-care if that's yeah. what your body and your mind needs. Absolutely. If that's going to be a stressor for you, don't do it. And I think both of us, when we're very stressed out and when we're very – yeah, when we're very sleep deprived, it can turn into a stressor. And mm -hmm. luckily, both of us are, are on the same page when it comes to that. As, you know, as great as sex is, going to sleep at 9 p.m. is also awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And what you're saying about, first of all, I would say, yes, nine months is a very small uh, <laughs> baby because they're still completely dependent on you. Yeah. Yeah. And to that end, so is your two-year-old. Mm -hmm. you, maybe your two-year-old can walk around now. But well, so can the nine-month-old. <laughs> but they're still probably using your body like a jungle gym. Mm -hmm. um, if you're breastfeeding, you're still a feeding station. Yep. You know, your body is putting out so much energy to take care of these little people. When you say that at the end of the day, you're touched out, that is like that's not just like, oh, I just don't feel like it. That is a real actual biological thing. Absolutely. And more people need to know about it. Um, exactly. So yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. Yes. That's a huge part of um, what I do. So I'm a, I'm a birth doula. Um, hmm. And a big part of what I talk to my clients about is what to expect postpartum. Um, and going beyond just the typical like, oh, your milk will come in at this day and, you know, expect to be bleeding for this long. Like I 
love talking to my clients about what I call like, you know, the real shit, the real side of postpartum. It's like, you are going to experience a lot of things that nobody is going to tell you about. And I'm here to tell you about them. And one of the things I talk about is feeling touched out and it's okay to feel that way. And this is usually what it feels like. And here's how you can handle it and make sure that your partner is on the same page. If you have a partner and make sure that you're aware of how to take care of yourself Um, Otherwise, you are going to get to the end of the day feeling touched out and not know how to kind of either, you know, whichever visual you want to use, like empty that cup or fill that cup. Exactly. Um, And you're just going to go into the next day either very empty or overflowing. And you can't, you can't function. And become resentful over time. Very resentful. Extremely resentful. Especially with a partner that is expecting more touches. Yes, exactly. And then over time, physically can't give. Yeah, that turns into a sexless marriage. If it yes. never gets dealt with in those first couple years of life mm-hmm. of the child, then mm-hmm. the resentment just keeps building to the point that neither of you knows how to break through it. Yes. And, um, yeah. Funny enough, I made a TikTok about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, The best way I can describe it, because I had a very hard time explaining to my husband what feeling touched out felt like, Mm -hmm. um, because he just wasn't experiencing it. He didn't have a baby, you know, like literally suckling at his teeth all day. And so I was just trying to explain it to him. And the best way I could explain it was there's a different feeling when you are giving a hug versus when you are getting a hug. Yes, exactly. When you are giving somebody a hug, you are putting in emotional energy into that hug to deliver whatever that person needs in that moment. If it is to comfort somebody that is sad, you're trying to kind of cover them in like this healing, happy blanket. If you're sharing somebody's joy, you are allowing their joy to like radiate somewhere else. So if you're giving a hug, you are expelling that emotional energy along with the physical energy it takes to like physically wrap your arms around someone. But there's a lot of emotional energy that you're wrapping around that person as well. Whereas when you are getting a hug, you are on the receiving end of this emotional blanket that this person is wrapping you up in and you can absorb it all in and you can take it all in and there's not really a lot that you have to give in return. Um, and moms or dads too, we're really caretaker children, caretakers of children all day long are doing the equivalent of giving hugs. Mm -hmm. A two-year-old doesn't understand how to, you know, give emotional energy to somebody. A mom or a dad, and in my case, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So a stay-at-home mom is giving her children everything she has in terms of emotional energy in the form of touching all day long. Yeah. So you get to the end of the day and you're like, I physically have nothing left to give. It's not that I don't want to give it to you. I can't. There is nothing here. And so something that I've told my husband is if you are craving to be touched or touch me because, um, you know, like I enjoy like, you know, rubbing his back, giving him massage. Like, I don't always have to be getting touch from him to feel love. Like, you can give someone touch to feel love, like I was just talking about. So, like, if that's something that you're craving and you just want that physical connection between the two of us, we don't, you know, we don't have to have sex and you can just, you can give me helpful touches is what I call them, helpful touches. So the equivalent of giving a hug, you know, it could be playing with their hair. It could be scratching their back. It could be just sitting there and holding them. It could be... um you know, giving them a foot massage or helping them take a shower. Like it's just all these little helpful touches that if your partner does have like a physical connection um, need that needs to be met, that doesn't need to equal sex. Yeah. That can be so many other things and it could be beneficial to you, the person that is touched out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, this is something I talk about a lot yeah, with I know. <laughs> moms of young kids, and I love the way that you're talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I, and I love some of the examples you use. So thank you. <laughs> you're very, well, thank you. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was about how having kids changed your experience of sex. Yeah. So not just the "I'm too tired to have sex" piece, mm-hmm. but did it change your actual physical experience of sex? Oh yeah, I. I say for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from just the physical side of 
you know, when you first start having sex postpartum, um, just the, um, the sensations I think for me were definitely different. And I think I could just chalk it all up to hormone fluctuation, but I think for the most part, I definitely chalk it up to my understanding of what my body, especially my reproductive system and my genitals and all that stuff are capable of and what I've seen them do, mm -hmm. uh, I have a completely different relationship with them than I did mm -hmm. before I got pregnant. And it's definitely, sometimes it's a love-hate relationship. Um, and like, I love them because like, I respect my body so much and I am so appreciative of it. And I've seen it do miraculous, wonderful things. And that translates into sex as well. I'm like, hey, look at this thing. Like, look what it can do. <laughs> um, and it also translates into a resentment sometimes toward my body of I feel betrayed by my body sometimes when I don't get physically aroused as easy as I used as easily mm. as I used to. Or mm. um, you know, my my mind and my my brain or whatever is like super turned on and my body's just like not cooperating. I'm like, mm -hmm. you grew a damn human. <laughs> you can't you can't wet things up a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Like so I think just yeah, my entire mindset about my body has changed so much. Um then it's it's I don't know. I like to look at it with humor, but <laughs> I I think it's funny. <laughs> Yeah. And what about um, prior to your first pregnancy, mm -hmm. when you were still dealing with the PCOS, yeah. did that affect your sex life in any way? I have no idea mm. because I didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. um, I'd never before. I, I feel like I'm still at a point in my life where I've never experienced my like equilibrium, my mm -hmm. homeostasis of <laughs> sex because yeah. when i first started having sex i was you know on a roller coaster of birth control and i was trying multiple kinds and i was switching between you know prescriptions all the time and then once i wasn't on birth control i was pregnant like months later mm -hmm. and so you know i went from being on birth control to experiencing the coming off of birth control to suddenly being pregnant to now you're postpartum to now you're pregnant again and now I'm postpartum again. So yeah. I feel like I still have yet to experience like <laughs> this is what normal looks like. Like I have mm -hmm. no idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I couldn't tell you if PCOS affected my sex life at all. It certainly didn't feel like it did. I had a lot of fun. Everything seemed great. Uh, for all I know, I was like missing something. I have no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what do you, given that you haven't had that sort of period of stabilization, mm -hmm. what if you, let's say, look five years into the future, your kids are a little bit older. We're assuming that you haven't popped out a third one at this Ugh, point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you hope it will look like? I think I just hope to make sex a priority again. Because mm -hmm. um, that's not something that I've been able to experience for the last couple of years, regardless of whether I want it to be a priority or not. Um, just life has made it very hard to do so. Yeah. And my i'm sure my husband would be very happy <laughs> if i made sex a priority <laughs> um but yeah 5 years down the road i would love for it to become like just a spontaneous thing again mm. um whereas right now it has to be very intentional mm -hmm. um we we have to make sure that we go to bed before we're tired <laughs> and we <laughs> yes. have to make sure that like you know, the kids are definitely asleep, but, you know, all this, there has to be like a checklist of things to run through before it can happen. Whereas, you know, beforehand, we'd just be sitting on the couch doing nothing and then suddenly you're having sex. Like it just kind of, <laughs> bam. Yeah. Um, or it's like, that can't happen anymore because a two-year-old is going to come running around the corner asking us for us to put Frozen on. Like, no, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> so I would love for like the spontaneity to return a little bit. That's, yeah. that's just fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
how do you want to raise your kids around sex and sexuality? What do you want to talk to them about? What do you want them to learn? I love this question um, because it's something that my husband and I have talked about extensively. Yeah. Um, Raising boys is something that I consider to be an extreme honor, um, especially in today's climate, because there has been such a, and I'm so grateful for this shift, but because there's been such a huge shift towards feminism and equality and, you know, focusing on, uh, when it comes to sex, like focusing on what consent means and no means no and starting to teach this to children younger I absolutely love that this is the environment that I'm raising my boys in. But I also have to remember that with that shift toward feminism and with that shift toward equality, I have to make sure that my son's masculinity is still celebrated. Mm, yes. um, should they you know, grow up to be masculine people, um, <laughs> I have to make sure that that masculinity is celebrated. And I, within that comes the sex talk. And within that comes teaching consent. And within that comes teaching that you might make mistakes growing up when it comes to sex. You might be with somebody that you regret being with. You might be with somebody that doesn't treat you the way that I taught you to be treated and to treat other people. Um, and I hope that they, that, that I raise them and my husband raises them to not find themselves in a situation where they aren't being appreciated. And I, if I find out that my son has sex with a woman and she did not feel appreciated. Mm. I'm going to have a field day <laughs> <laughs> because I, uh, like, yeah, raising boys in today's climate is a blessing and a curse. Um, but my main, yeah, I think when it comes down to like the nitty gritty of it, my main goal is f sex will never be a taboo subject in my house. It's always going to be, um, brought up as just a regular conversation. I don't want it to feel scary. I don't want it to feel like this sit down interrogation. Um, I don't really plan on giving the traditional birds and the bees talk because I don't plan on ever lying to my children. <laughs> as they ask me questions growing up, I plan to answer them honestly at a level that they can understand. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just hope for it to be an environment in my house of the same way that you talk to your children about like what college they're going to go to. I want to talk to them about what body autonomy means and what consent means and what healthy sex looks like and um, what a violation looks like and what rape means. Like, yeah, everything is going to be out on the table. I, there will not be anything that I keep my children in the dark about because I yeah. think that that breeds um, ignorance and I think that that breeds the environment for something to go ter terribly, terribly wrong in their future. Yeah. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls, and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. 
Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Do you have hair down there or are you bare? Right now I don't, but usually I do. What made you go bare? Um, I needed an excuse to take a long shower. Uh, this is mom life, huh? It really is. <laughs> but like, if I stand here and stare at the wall in the steam with my shower beer, that feels like I'm wasting time. <laughs> if I put this time to good use, I'm sure my husband would appreciate it. <laughs> and I can I can stay in here for right. a few more minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I usually do not because it's like a choice. I'm usually rushed in the shower. Do you think it's generally easy or challenging for you to orgasm? I'd say it's relatively easy. Yeah. If I'm having a difficult time, there's, I can identify the reason why. And is it usually emotional, physical, mental? I'm usually tired. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Have you ever faked an orgasm? Yeah, I used to a lot. With your current husband or mm-hmm. with, and what stopped, what changed? Um, he was like very suspicious that I was. Um, and so he brought it up. He was like, do you ever fake it? And uh. I was like, yeah. I, and he's like, why? I'm like, well, because sometimes I'm just like. I'm tired or I can tell that I'm not going to finish or, you know, I, I don't know. And I just, I don't want to, you know, kill the mood. And his answer was like, oh my gosh, but faking it is like the biggest mood killer ever. Oh, good man. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. So I had to like break the habit, but mm-hmm. I don't do that anymore. I, I'm sober of faking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We should make another 12-step group. <laughs> oh, perfect. Fakers Anonymous. Fakers Anonymous. <laughs> I'm going to start a podcast and call it Fakers Anonymous. Ah, uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be your first guest. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Joe, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I really appreciate not just how open you are, but how much fun you are. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so I, I mentioned that I've watched some of your videos. Mm-hmm. Where can people go to find your videos? So my username on both Instagram and TikTok is at Joe the Mama, J O the Mama, M A M A. And yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok. And I like to post just funny, relatable, like both mom, young mom, young woman content. I try to keep it a little bit educational, but 
mostly just fun. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, I'm not a mom. I'm not a young mom. I'm not in my 20s, but I have really been enjoying your stuff. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Yes. So I'll put those links into the show notes. And thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Thank you so much. This was so fun. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at goodgirlstalk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.